Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. We are so glad that you are here worshiping with us. As you can see, it looks a little bit different this morning. We have started a new worship arts program called Plugged In, and we meet on Wednesday nights. And what we do in Plugged In is we talk about different styles of worship. So what you're going to get to see is a little glimpse this morning of what we've been doing with our kindergarten through second grade, and then our third through fifth grade is going to come up and worship um, after they finish. Um, and then we're going to be doing a Christmas musical coming up. So if that's something your child would like to be involved in, we would love to have them on Wednesday nights. We meet from 6.15 to 7.30. It's going to be pretty awesome. So we would love for them to come and join us. Big adventure. 
But at some point, the dream dies. We settle for less, blend in, and put up walls. Welcome to the real world, kid. But you're created for more. You are a child of God. You were made for an extraordinary life. A life like Jesus. You were meant to change the world. You were created for an earth-shaking life. Full of compassion. Overflowing with God's love, God became man to live among us. He directly involved himself into the world's brokenness. And so must we. Jesus cared for the broken. The sick. The poor. And so can we. Jesus came to get messy. Emotionally. Physically. Relationally. Socially. And so should we. Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to dream again? Are you willing to change the world?
and then we will continue in worship. God, we just love you so much. Lord, I thank you for each one of these um, kids that were here today. I thank you for their heart for you, God. May we learn so much about worship through them, God. I pray that we can worship you openly today. God, that we can feel your presence so evidently, Lord. I pray that you will just be pleased with our hearts for worship for you today. God, we love you. You are awesome. Thank you for a place that we can come together to corporately worship you, Lord. Amen. Good morning. If you would stand, let's worship together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wondered how he could love me. A sinner condemned unclean, singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love. Oh, 
Oh, oh, oh. 
Well, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today because he's so worthy, he's so good, so worthy of all of our, our affection and love that we can give to him. He's just, he's good all the time, amen, whether we uh, realize it or whether we're aware of it or not, the Lord is good all the time. Well, today we're really excited to be with you this morning and I hope you've already been made to feel welcome today. Uh, if you haven't, I'm really glad that you're here. It'd be really lonely if you weren't here, I'm telling you. We're just so glad that you're here today. I hope some folks have uh, greeted you, made you feel welcome. And I also hope uh, that you've looked around yourself today and, and you've noticed some folks who might be new or somebody you didn't even know. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I have people to come to me and they say, well, Brother Allen, I, I don't know so-and-so and I don't know so-and-so. Uh, I don't know them. Uh, go introduce yourself. Just say hello. Uh, and it's even good to sometimes say, you know, I know I should know your name by now, but would you please forgive me? I really don't want to forget your name. And you can even say, you know, um, how do you spell your name? Now, if they say Bob <laughs> and they told you last week their name was Bob, you may look kind of foolish, but sometimes you can, you can even use that one. I, I was thinking of your name the other day. How, how do you spell that? And, and then next thing you know, you, you don't just have the name back to you, but you have a, you have it. You can see that visually. So, man, we just really, it's my heart. It is my passion. It is my burden uh, that we be an, a, a ministry with open arms. That we really know how to love people. And we know how to love people well. And we know how to make people uh, feel welcome. We know how to minister to their children and their specific needs. We, we know how to reach out to those around us. We, we know, we care, we're concerned, we're we're not here uh, just for what we get out of it, but we're here to serve, and we're here to give, and we're here to love. I know for me, over the years, that's had, that, that has made me change some routines of my life. Uh, Saturday nights are not like they used to be for me. You know, I need Saturday night to kind of uh, get focused and start preparing my heart for not just what I might receive on a Sunday morning, before how God wants to use me to serve and to give. I know I need to be rested. I know I need to have clarity of thought. And so, like, when I have nights like I had last, last night, when I got home after 11 o'clock and didn't go to sleep till 1230 and, and been involved in ministry all weekend, sometimes you feel like you're running on fumes. You know, you really do. But I'll tell you what God's taught me during those times. He's taught me during those times that, that, that I can lean on Him. I can just say to him, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. And so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to do this through me. And I'm going to be in a state of rest. And I'm going to choose to enjoy you. But I am not. I'm not going to trust my own strength. I'm going to let you work through me. So a lot of times when I'm just physically exhausted or tired, he really, really, really reminds me in those times how much I need him. Well, today we're going to break new ground. Pretty excited about what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, was at a ministry event this weekend and uh, had a lot of different ministry things going on. Uh, but but this, this text and this heart and this spirit uh, really got my attention this weekend. And so today we're going to break new ground on what I hope to be uh, two to three, four week teaching series. And today we're looking 
we're looking at a, at a missionary heart. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you might want to check out because you think, well, I don't think God called me to be a missionary. But I want us to, to look at the heart of the Apostle Paul. And I think what's going to happen is I think when we see his heart, we're going to see the heart of Christ. And then we're going to see the heart that God has given to us for people. And sometimes we just don't foster that, we don't nourish that in our lives. And sometimes it's real easy just to get so tunneled vision of our own lives or even the people in our lives that we sometimes can become closed off and we fail to see that we do have a heart like Christ and his heart is for others. Uh, so today we're entitling this particular message, a family or a church, a family or a church in first Corinthians chapter nine, Paul wrote and he said, for though I am free from all men. This is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Father, we invite your spirit uh, to be our teacher today. We invite you, Father, to move and to work through the written word that we might better know the living word, Jesus. And so, Father, we give you this time. We give you our hearts and our minds, our undivided attention. And Father, we desire so much more than information. We desire for your spirit to bring revelation into our hearts. Again, Father, we give you this time and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up in Coldwater, as most of you know, who've been around our ministry for any period of time. And... Uh, I grew up in a rather large family. Uh, my grandmother, Fern, and my grandfather, Stanley, they had six children. And believe it or not, at one time in their lives, when their six children were grown and, and were married and even starting to have children of their own, all six children lived within a half a mile of my grandparents, Stanley and Fern. In fact, this morning, when I was kind of going through my mind about... Uh, trying to count everybody and, and counting the children and counting uh, the grandchildren. There were 12 grandchildren. I actually started on one hill on where I lived uh, with my family. And then I moved kind of down the valley 
to where my other uncle at one time lived with his family. And then I started up to what is known as Darnell Hill, where my grandparents lived. And then right there around them were the other four children. To say that we were a close family, that is really an understatement. We were a very, very close family. Uh, we were a farming family. The first dollar I ever earned in my life was in a tobacco patch. And thank God, hopefully I'll never have to earn another dollar in the tobacco patch again. But the first dollar I ever earned in my life, it was there and working with my uncles. And, and it was just a joy to be a part of a close-knit family. But let me tell you, around Thanksgiving or Christmas time, uh, I can speak as a grandchild, uh, we would start, you know, dating relationships and, and you know, the, the girls would think about, you know, maybe bringing the guy over to grandma's for Thanksgiving or grandma's for Christmas or, you know, the guys would be in a relationship and they'd think, you know, hey, I, I want to bring my girlfriend over to to grandma's for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And, and we always knew that, you know what, if they were going to risk bringing that boy or that girl to grandma's for Thanksgiving, it, it, it had to be pretty serious because you just weren't going to bring them uh, to, that, to that gathering if you weren't pretty serious about them surviving and sticking around. Uh, so, so I can remember times, you know, and, and on Thanksgiving or Christmas and I would bring a girl that I might be dating over. And, and my grandparents lived in a small house. And so by the time you get, you know, the six kids and their spouses and the 12 grandchildren, and their spouses, as we get later in life, and then so many great grandchildren. I mean, this house was so small and, and it was just so packed in there. And it would get so hot that the men would open up the front door, go out on the porch. And the front porch actually became an extension of the living room. And I can remember walking up those steps the first time I'd brought a girl. And I'm seeing my cousins and my uncles out there. And I'm just praying to God. They're not going to tell all my deep, dark secrets. They're not going to call me all the nicknames that they call me. They're not going to start in all this. Because I know that they would embarrass me to death. But I had to be very, very serious if I'm going to bring her to the Darnell gathering at Thanksgiving or at Christmas. It was really, really a neat thing. Family. Family's a... A great thing. Uh, today in this teaching that we're going to be bringing to you, we're just asking a simple question. A family or a church? And what we're going to learn in this is that when a, when a church has a family spirit, it is a very special thing. It really is. Uh, maybe you've been a part of a church family for a period of time. Uh, maybe even today you are, you're here and you're wondering and you're thinking, you know, uh, maybe this might be a place I want to worship or maybe I want to bring my family. But you know, when a, a church has a family spirit, it can be a really special thing. You know, people taking care of each other. Uh, by, by the way, today we're very mindful of Brother Steve and his family. His father passed away this past Thursday. Service will be this afternoon. Please pray for them. Pray for us. You know, family loves each other. They care for each other. Uh, when there's a need, they're there. You know, when there's a, a death in the family, they're there. They take food. You know, when a, a child is born, and by the way, by the way, by the way, we have with us here today for the very first time, Mr. Keegan Asher. Sperry, where did you guys land? Right there they are. 
Okay, so Brayden, I'm going to get you to come up, and uh, we're going to do the customary uh, first missionary baby walk, okay? So this is Mr. Keegan Asher Sperry. Uh, he's, uh, I'm telling you, about three, three, three weeks? Not quite three weeks. Not even two weeks old. All right, so you start that way. Now, proud dad, you go this way. All right, did y'all see him over here? Okay, y'all got a good look right there? Okay, there you go. And now you go this way. This is the, the first missionary baby walk, okay? All right, now y'all know what to do, right? Y'all know what to do. Isn't that a handsome little guy right there? So on the count of three, we'll all do this collectively. One, two, three. There you go. So a family, baby's born, we're there for them. They've got a sickness, we're there for them. It's great when a church has a family spirit. But God did not call us to be a family. He called us to be a church. And a healthy church will in fact have a family spirit about it. But what we see over the period of time is that if that's all there is, then people can actually become kind of closed off to their family. It's like, oh, we love each other, and we're caring for each other, and we're going to take care of each other, and I'm here for you, and I'm there, and you're there for me, and here we are, and we're, we get tight, and we get close. And maybe even you can at times see with groups of people, oh, well, over here, they're really close, and they're really tight. And over there, man, they're close, and they're tight. And really, they're, they're close and tight. And it's great if you're part of the family. If you're part of that circle. But if you're new, and, and you've never been exposed to this family before, and you're wondering... Is there a place for me? And you walk in and, and you see that group there and that group there and that group. Man, they, it's great inside that group. I've actually have had people call me. Say, Brother Allen, uh, we were at church and we attended for over six months. And we got involved in small groups and we tried to do this and we tried to do that. And it just got to a point to where it didn't really seem that it mattered if we were there or not. In fact, they hadn't attended in about three or four weeks. And I called them up. And they said it just never felt like family to us. It's good to have a family spirit. It really is. It's good to feel like you belong. And you have a place. And this reminds me, and this just puts a passion in my heart, that as we love each other as a family, that we'll always have open arms, and we'll always have something else besides a family spirit. I think it's a missionary spirit. I think it's a spirit that the Apostle Paul had in his own life. I think it's a spirit that he received from Christ, and I think it's a spirit that he encouraged the people he ministered to, to adopt and to have in their lives. Because after all, God doesn't call us to be a family. 
He calls us to be a church. We can even see that over a long period of time, when the church is just a family and it doesn't have this missionary spirit about itself, that over time, that particular church family will begin to die out. They become closed off. Uh, people begin to age. There's deaths. A couple of children might move off. And the next thing you know, it is a very small family. And they are actually in a process of dying. And we're not talking about like spiritually dying in the sense of losing their salvation or anything like that. But the Spirit of God has become so squelched in their midst as they just were intent on loving and caring for each other, that they failed to exemplify the Spirit of God in leaving their arms and their doors open to embrace those who need Christ. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he writes to the believers at Corinth, and there's some great, great principles here that he demonstrates of his own life, that I think will give to us and help us to know that if we are in Christ, we actually have this spirit that he had. A missionary spirit. And I know, I know, I know that some of you, as soon as you hear that term, I know you're checking out. Because you're thinking God didn't call me to be a missionary. But I think there's going to be some surprises, some good surprises for you in this text. Paul writes, he says, for though I am free from all men. Now, you got to think about where he came from. He grew up a Jew. Uh, he was under a religious system called Judaism, also known as the law. Paul became a Pharisee, very devout. He was a very religious man. When he came to faith in Christ and experienced the grace of God in the new covenant that Christ gives... God set him free. He was free in Christ. Reminds us of what he said in Galatians chapter 5 when he wrote, and he says, Therefore, it is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, do not be entangled again with a yoke of slavery. Paul had experienced the freedom of Christ. He says, I'm free from all men, which means that I don't have to live by the regulations, I don't have to live by the rules, I don't have to live by the customs or the traditions of men, I am free in Christ. Thank God Almighty, I'm free. For though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. Now, when you think about Paul using the term slave or slavery, we shouldn't, in our hearts and our minds, go back to, you know, slavery in the deep south. Because I think Paul, what Paul is saying here is, although I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant. I've made myself in Christ. I've made myself a servant to all. And when you look at his heart and what his goal was and what his heart was for, you see in the very next part, 
He says, so that I may win more. Paul's heart had been so captured by the love of Christ that when he, he saw the world and he saw people around himself, man, his heart beat for them like God's heart beat for them. And he had such a desire to win them, to, to, uh, to see them come to know the same love of Christ that he had experienced, to see them experience salvation and, and, and to see them set free in their lives as well. So his heart, compelled and motivated by love, was to win more. But in order for him to win more out of his freedom, and it's a really, really important part, because until you know that you are free, it's going to be difficult for you to serve in all the various ways God might lead you to serve. You might think, well, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I go here? Can I go there? Uh, I don't know, God. What about this? What and then God just says, you're free. I'm free. But God, I've never done that. It's okay, you're free. Lord, I, I've never been this way before. Lord, it's okay, you're free. I've never been there before. God says, you're free. I've never worshipped that way before, God. God says, you're free. You just didn't know you could worship that way. You just didn't know you could serve that way. You just didn't know you could live that way. You're free. You're free. You're free. I got to tell one on myself, okay? I hate to do this. I didn't do it in the first service, so don't tell them. I think we're going to see a principle. I might change my mind. Holy Spirit, would you let me change my mind? Okay, so. What we're going to see in, in this text is how Paul, in his heart for people, leaving his arms open to, to win more, he was always changing. Whatever his circumstance, whatever his situation, he was changing. So when he was in a situation to where people had certain understandings or convictions or traditions, as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ was not being compromised, he'd go with the flow. And you're going to see situations, and we'll talk about this more in depth later, but you'll see situations where Paul, maybe in one circumstance, he says, okay, this guy, he's going to be crucified. I'm not crucified, sorry. He's going to be circumcised. You see, in another situation, like with Titus, where not, you're not going to be circumcised. Two very different situations. One situation where he's dealing with some cultural norms, and he says... To be all things to all men? Yeah, we can adapt here. But in another situation, when the gospel of Jesus Christ was being compromised, he said, no way, buddy, I'll never compromise the truth of the gospel of Christ. So years ago, I hate to do this, years ago, I was in seminary. And uh, don't hate me, okay? Okay. Um, I had received an invitation to come back to my home church uh, to preach a revival. And uh, I actually remember uh, coming back home and we were there for the weekend and, and the service was coming up the next week. And I had been in seminary and, and I had been just learning and discovering my freedom in Christ. And it is a precious thing. I mean, I had just been experiencing him, and, and so much of my 
religious baggage that I had carried for so many years of my life, it's like chains falling off. And so I, I was coming back to preach revival at my home church, and it was Sunday morning, and I'm starting to get dressed. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I do not want to wear a tie. I'm not a big tie fan. Uh, they, they choke me. I just, just don't like them. I feel stuffy. Lord, it's just me. It's just me. It's just me. But I'm just... And then the thought of even having to do it, because it was the expectation of maybe other people that I do that, well, that just even went even further against the grain of my freedom in Christ. So I'm driving, or actually right in the backseat, going to the church that morning. And when I got dressed, I actually brought a tie with me, just going, okay, Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit's in control here, and, and I'll do uh, just whatever I need to do. And I had it in the back seat, and I'm sitting back there, and I'm thinking about my message, and I'm thinking about this tie. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I really don't want to wear this tie this morning. And I said, Lord, I'm free not to wear a tie. And then the Holy Spirit spoke back to me like he does many times in my life. He said, Alan, you're right, but you're also free to wear a tie. <laughs> And the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, some of these folks who might, know, might not know their freedom, they might be set aback or challenged by yours. And if you go in and you have not adapted, they'll never hear you. You'll lose your audience, and they'll miss what you have to say because the enemy will have their hearts and minds focused on the wrong thing. So when the Spirit of God said, you're free too, I put that tie on faster than you can imagine. This is Paul's heart. He said, I'm free. I am free from all men, but I have made myself a servant to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, which is really an interesting statement of Paul. Because he was a Jew. But he was a Jew who had been set free from the rules and the regulations of Judaism. He's free. But going into Jewish context, he understood that in order to continue to have the audience, he could walk by some of their norms and their traditions and their regulations so as not to lose his audience. So in those situations, he adapted. And he was for those people what he needed to be for them so that he could preach Christ and hopefully win them to Christ and see them get set free. To those who are under law, he says, as under the law, though myself not under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And then he doesn't just stop there. 
What about those who don't have the law? The ones who don't have those uh, traditions and those cultural norms and those expectations. What about those folks? So he says in verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, I became one without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but watch this in the text. Though not being without the law of God, no doubt a reference to Judaism, the old covenant, but under the law of Christ. You say, what is the law of Christ? I think it's this, the, the, the same thing that James speaks about when he talks about the law of liberty. And when you think about what does it mean to be under the law of Christ? What does it mean to be under such a law that it calls you to be what you need to be for the people around you? Now, I know some of you who are in education, you, you, this, this is your life every day, right? This child, they need this. And you, as a leader, administrator, principal, teacher, you want to be for that child what that child needs so that that child can learn and advance, right? You go into another classroom, down another hallway. I visited one of our principals not too long ago. In her office was a little boy. Her buddy. He had special circumstances and needs in his life. And therefore, the 10 to 15 minutes I talked with her, she was being everything she needed to be for that child. That is a missionary spirit in the school system. So what is it that would cause this man to be what he needed to be for whoever he needed to be there for? It was the law of Christ. The law of Christ can be defined and it can be summarized in one word. In one word. One word. It is love. It is love. It's love. When you love people, when you have received the love of Christ in your life, that same love wants to be, desires to be, and if you are surrendered to the Spirit, it will be manifested in your own life for love for other people. But under the law of Christ, which is love, at the end of verse 21, so that I might win those who are without law. I mean, when you look at this passage of Scripture and you look at the number of times the word win is used. I became this to win those. I became this to win those. I became that to win those. I became that to win those. Paul was living his life in such a way that whatever, whatever people needed him to be in that moment, in the spirit of Christ, he was willing to do it. I'm telling you, you're talking about a great adventure of life. A great adventure of life. That he would get up in the morning and somebody might say, Hey, Paul, hey, we need you over here. Uh, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they're, they're not feeling good, they're sick. Paul, Paul, would you come pray? Man, he'd go over there. 
He'd be for that person what they needed to be. He'd pray for them. You need this. You need that. I'm right there for you. 30 minutes later, he gets another call. Oh, Brother Paul, so-and-so's died. This family's hurting. Paul's like, man, I'll be right there. Whatever they need for me to be, I'll be right there for them. I'll, I'll take a casserole. Whatever I need to do, I don't know how to make a casserole. I'll pay somebody to make one. I'll take whatever I, whatever I got to do. I'll be that for them. Later that evening, somebody calls and they say, Paul, we, we have, we're having a theological discussion over at the coffee shop. Could you, maybe could you break free from what you're doing and come over here and, and talk with us and, and help us to work through some of these scriptures that we're working through. Paul's like, man, I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to make that happen. Whatever they need me to be, I will be for them. And that's how he lived his life. And he was no respecter of people. It didn't matter their background, their upbringing, their ethnicity. Whatever it takes. He loved people that much. To those who were weak, he says in verse 22, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. So that I may by all means save some. It's a missionary spirit. And some of you are checking out right now. Because you're sitting there going, but that's Paul the Apostle. He was a missionary. That's for missionary folk. And that's for people who are called. The reality is that we're all called. Had to give a talk this weekend. And in this talk, I had to be very, I didn't have to be. I could have chosen a different illustration to go into this talk. But I chose one that did not make me look so good. I actually had to be very, very vulnerable with a group of people. When it was all said and done, one of the people who were in that group came up to me and they said, man, I just really, really, really appreciate you being so vulnerable and transparent. Because a lot of us, we want to think, this is what she said, we want to think that our ministers have it all together. She said, I just want to thank you for being so transparent and vulnerable, even when it made, the, the illustration made me look pretty bad. And I said to her, I said, two things. I said, number one, when you know your identity in Christ, that who you are is not defined by what people say about you or what they think about you, you can be real. When you know that Christ identifies you, your identity is in Christ, He makes you who you are. You're not who you are by the opinions, the thoughts, feelings of anybody else. I said, when you know, and thankfully God showed me my identity in Christ years ago. 
And I said, because of that, I can be real. I also said this. I said, sometimes us ministers, we don't do ourselves a, ser- a very good service. Because sometimes we may not want to share, and we might not want to be vulnerable. And then people begin to form opinions about us based on how we present ourselves. These glass houses that many talk about living in, they're, cla- they're glass houses they've built themselves. I said, do you think it could be that maybe when we are real and honest with ourselves and about ourselves, that it reminds people that they're to be looking to Christ and not us to begin with? That your hope and your faith and your trust is not in the one who stands in front of you. And if the one who stands in front of you is fulfilling their calling, they're pointing others to Christ. And sometimes it takes saying Not me, but him. Not me, but him. I'll disappoint you every time. But Jesus will never fail you. But we're all called. We all have a calling. To live outside of ourselves. And it's not just for apostles. It's not for preachers. It's not for teachers. And where we draw this conclusion is actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning in verse 33. And this is a a pretty big section of scripture. It's a lot of fun to study through. And Paul was dealing with all kinds of questions and issues in the church of Corinth. Can we eat meat offered to idols or not? And Paul would be like, well, if it's going to cause or be a, a stumbling block to one, then you don't do it. Even though we know it's just a cow and those of us who know we're free in Christ enjoy a good steak. Well, about dietary laws and eating things and drinking things. And Paul's dealing with all of these issues. And the one thing that prevails every single time in regards to how we are to be toward other people is always love. Love wins every time. So notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, verses, in beginning of verse 33. Whether then... You eat or drink or whatever you do. Whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Always recognize the traditions, the norms, those kinds of things. So that initially you don't create a barrier to the gospel. But by all means, preach the gospel. And by all means, pray that they'll be set free. Verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things. And this doesn't mean that Paul was trying to be a man pleaser. And that was his heart. His heart was to please the Lord in all things. But he respected and he loved the people he was ministering to. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may what? What was his goal? What was his heart? Every single time to win, to win, to win, to see others come to know Christ. To be saved. A lot of times when you're reading your Bibles, 
you'll get to an end of a chapter, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you think, well, that's the concluding thought. It's over. Chapter 10 is over. But actually, in this section, the thought continues into chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And this is where we know that this is not just for Paul, and it's not just for the preachers, and it's just not the called missionaries. He's writing this to the believers in Corinth, all the believers there. He says, be imitators of me. As I have lived out this missionary spirit before you. Be imitators of me. But it doesn't begin with Paul. He says, as I also am of Christ. This missionary spirit began with Jesus. Jesus is the one who came out of heaven. Came to live among us. Put on stinking human flesh. Walked among people. Got his feet, got his hands dirty. Dealt with people in their pain, in their suffering, and in their struggles. Had his own. Times he was hungry. Times he was like pressed in a vice. There's times he came along and wept with people. There's times when a woman who's caught in adultery. And all of her accusers are in front of her and they want to, they want to stone her. He comes along beside her. And defends her by simply turning the tables on her accusers. He risked his reputation by dining with publicans and with sinners and, and drunkards. He hung out in the bars. He talked with the prostitutes. And everybody else in between. And he died. A criminal's death. The perfect one steps out of heaven. Because God could, could only send his best. And only his best would do. So Christ is the one. Who demonstrates this spirit. Had he not you would not know him. You would have no hope. So the Spirit gets in Paul. But once the Spirit gets in you, it has to come out. And so that's why he says to all the believers are there, hey, be imitators of me. But it doesn't start with me as it is also with Christ. Christ is the one who has this missionary spirit. So it's great. It's great to be a family. Families take care of themselves. It's great for a ministry and a church to have a family spirit. But God did not call us to be a family. He called us to be a church. A church that has a family spirit. But when a church has a 
missionary spirit. It's never closed off. People don't show up and they're ignored. There's no respecters of people. If, if something happens over here and we rally around this family during this time of need and this person over here and this family over here, they have a need, it's the same need, we do the exact same thing for them. We pay attention. We realize that when we come, we come to serve. And we come to love. We sit down to eat. We look around over our shoulders. Who's by themselves? We go and we say hello. I'm glad you're here. We live outside of ourselves. And some of you would never make it in your profession or your career. If you only live inside of yourself. And neither will the church. Ever make it. If it lives only inside of itself. So this morning, it's just really been on my heart to challenge us all. It's good to be a family. But he didn't call us to be a family. He called us to be a church. So as you stand with us today and we go into this time of response and invitation... I think the Spirit of God could be moving us into in two ways. And you're welcome just to bow with us and our prayer counselors will slip up and be available for you. We could pray, Father, as I stand in this place today, I'm really not for sure why I'm here. But I know I love you and I love my family and I brought him here uh, because of you. And Lord, I'm not really for sure if this is where I'll land or my family will land. But Lord, my, my heart's open and I'm seeking, I'm searching. And so, Father, I just want you to, to show me, to guide me. Because this is really important. What the ministry teaches, what it stands for, how they love my family, how they love my children, how they care and love about my neighbor who's not even here. Lord, I have all of these questions. And I'm listening. For some of us who have been in the family for a good while, our prayer is, Lord, I have been so busy. I've had so much stuff going on. I take so many things for granted about my family. And Father, I'm not always mindful and I don't always see those who need a family. So Father, in me, give me. You have given me. Just let this missionary spirit out of me for me to be what others around me need me to be 
to love them, to care for them, to welcome them, to do whatever I need to do, Father. Lord, change my patterns, change my habits, make me available. I'm here to serve. And you have a place for me. So, Father, we trust you to do your work and your spirit to continue to move in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.